Delgado. And I'm Priya Kamath. And you're listening to FIRST. Today's episode of FIRST features Kian Dang. Kian has been a friend of mine for a few years um, since we met in PE class in sophomore year. Now he's a rising senior and he recently took a UCSD course on media literacy and its relevance to stereotypes and social change in popular media. So given that all of us are Asian, we decided it would be really valuable if we could have sort of a discussion on racism and especially racism between um, Asian Americans and Black Americans and like inter-minority racism in that sense. And as a quick disclaimer, the intended message of this episode in Keen's essay is not to minimize, equate, or compare and contrast the struggles between two groups, but to address the discrimination in both communities and how this allows white people who've been in power to stay in power. While numerous groups of minorities are fighting each other, no progress is occurring in fighting for social equality and dismantling the system of oppression in the United States today. So to start, Kian, can you give us a rundown on your essay and introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. So. My name is Keen Dang, and I am an upcoming senior at Mary Mesa High School. And so, first of all, thank you, Catherine and Priya, for featuring me in this week's episode. It's truly an honor to be here today. And um, so, my writing is on interminority racism in the United States and its effects on minorities themselves, such as Asian Americans, Black Americans, Latinx, and Native Americans. Um, and specifically, I focused on the interactions between the Asian and Black community as I am most well-versed or, I guess, more familiar with these interactions. And I incorporated it into my writing because I really wanted to emphasize the experiences of minorities. And although we do have problems within our own communities and um, with each other, we should come together as people of color and as minorities to tackle the bigger issue at hand, which is the racial prejudice and discrimination perpetuated by white people in power today, especially in the country that we live in. Yeah, awesome. And in your essay, you mentioned um, a phrase called hegemonic ideology. Can you talk about that? Um, Maybe like define the phrase and how it's important to the discussion today? So to define hegemonic ideology, what I did was to break up the two words. And so ideology refers to the philosophy of an individual or group, while hegemony refers to the authoritarian influence a society, um, a group, or individual has on another. And so putting this together, hegemonic ideology can be defined as the perpetuation of dominant ideas that is exploited throughout time and into society. And so consequently, these hegemonic ideologies that's been spread out by people of power who wants to stay in power, this leads to the development of internalized beliefs that reinforces the power that those ideas have and puts many without access to that power. Um, So for example, in my essay, these people would be people of color, people who are minorities. And so this puts them to um, this puts them in silence 
Um, can you talk a little bit about how these hegemonic ideologies actually translate into our world and like how they contribute to racial discrepancies that we see today? Yeah, of course. And so a really effective way to reproduce hegemonic ideology and to see it is through mass media. So that's the news and Instagram, Twitter, stuff like that. And so you can see these ideologies through the manipulation of elements incorporated in mass media through, let's say, um, a speaker's tone, the exigence, um, who they want to talk to, who they want to reach out to, but, and ultimately, the message that they want to put. And so the way these hegemonic ideologies is reproduced through mass media, um, it can be super casual and hidden as well. Like for instance, in television, a father is the breadwinner of the house. They are the authority. In contrast, the mother is the caretaker of the household, the trophy wife, the stay at home and or soccer mom. And so this itself is a hegemonic ideology because it makes us associate, I guess, this like stereotypical role of a father and a mother. And so relating it back to race, mass media, um, mass media carries, carries out these, um, carry out hegemonic ideologies when referring to race through, um, like crime reports. You, you, you typically see crime and drugs reported more in, um, quote unquote, the ghetto neighborhoods or neighborhoods with more people of color and especially predominantly black or, um, Hispanic. And so oftentimes this allow the public to relate and associate um, different minorities, different groups of minorities into this um, schema that these are bad people. I want to relate, they, they relate and they associate to drugs and crimes. And so this itself is a hegemonic ideology because um, it keeps these groups of minorities in a place where they can't, I guess, really get out of society. I feel like one of the places I really witness hegemonic ideologies firsthand is within Indian society. So India was colonized um, by the British a few hundred years ago. And when this started, a lot of, when this happened, a lot of European ideals and standards suddenly integrated into Indian society. And I feel like those standards um, are still really prevalent, like even in the modern world. So for example, in India, skin bleaching brands like Fair and Lovely are extremely popular because lighter skin is seen as more beautiful and it's preferred over tanner shades. And then also when you see like Indian fashion and television, pretty much the only people that are featured are those that have lighter skin and more Eurocentric features. So I feel like I definitely witnessed these hegemonic ideologies, which originated when the British colonized India in society even today. Yeah, definitely. And as a Filipino, um, like the Philippines have been or was colonized by Spain, a few centuries ago, and now that colorism is definitely prevalent within our own communities, in media and within our like our own families, light-skinned Filipinos who have um, more of a Spanish heritage are um, loved and adored and romanticized because they are seen as more beautiful, and um, like darker-skinned Filipinos are looked down upon and 
like as a Filipino, it's kind of taboo to even like marry or date someone with darker skin or, or who maybe even is black. And I think just this reemphasizes the idea that um, like blacks and BIPOC communities are not in control of their story. Like within media, um, producers and writers are not representative of like BIPOC communities. They're mainly white and they're telling the stories of other people and other experiences that they don't understand. Yeah, and I think this is a really great way to put it and to actually understand hegemonic ideologies. Um, so this is a great example, is colorism in um, numerous groups of minorities, such as Asians and um, the Hispanic community, and as well as the Black community. I mean, colorism is very prominent today, and I think we don't really realize that it is a hegemonic ideology. And so to understand this, we have to essentially analyze the colonization period of the world. And so to look at it during the scramble for Africa and the colonization of Asia and South America, the dominance of global power was not the only factor implemented onto these ethnic cultures but also the definition of being civilized and advanced and beautiful, it began to shift into these Western standards or like a, a Western mode in which we all, if not all of us, follow today. From one's behavior to their style, um, to just the beauty standards, um, this lifestyle influenced by the white standards or the European standards is now the expectation set today. It is um, a global standard. And so this ideology became normalized and enforced onto minority groups by the majority, which are Europeans, in order for these Europeans to stay in power. And so this hegemonic ideology, which is the exploitation of dominant ideas into society, um, again, to define it, has eradicated any pre-existing culture filled with diversity and richness, and it creates this really competitive environment for minorities who are constantly being pitted against each other and who are constantly trying to achieve this standard, maybe explicitly and implicitly, um, to fit a Western standard that is now um, seen as something that's global. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've said once, or you've said this phrase once, that the Western standard has become the global standard. And I think when that point happened, we haven't turned back. And these systems have been are so prevalent within our societies today, and we haven't really done much to reverse that. And it's present within our own minds and our identities, and we enforce those systems of oppression that were built so many years ago, and we're still continuing to defend those today. Going off of that idea of like competition, Kian, you brought up this idea in your essay called something called an oppression Olympics. Can you go over that a little bit? I brought up this term oppression Olympics a lot throughout my um, writing because what you notice on social media, especially the comment sections to per se Instagram or Twitter, when there's a post regarding race or just groups of numerous groups of minorities or a certain group, you see in the comment sections a lot of the time, people kind of jump into this endless game and endless cycle with each other pitting their experiences against each other to play 
this oppression the 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 oppression olympics they they essentially say um well you think that's bad wait till you hear about my life wait till you hear about my experiences my community's experiences you don't have it as bad but what we don't realize as minorities and as and as people who's been oppressed for so long is that we only have each other as people of color and as minorities and we should stand up for one another in order to tackle the bigger issue at hand which i've said already in um this podcast but the bigger issue at hand is the oppression and prejudice that has occurred for so long for centuries and decades um that's not just even in the country that we live in today but also in the world and so as i guess we could say as activists and as people of color we have to find the balance between telling our own experiences and realities and being able to understand comprehend and especially empathize with other people's experiences and be able to um, see each other eye to eye and be able to solve whatever issues we have with one another in order to um in order to see the bigger issue because if people of color and not just as minorities who are constantly who who constantly kind of just play this game if they're just going to continue with this oppression olympics they're not only going to widen the gap in the relationship between themselves but also the gap between white people who's been in power stay in power yeah, definitely. And I think um, for Asians, the idea of oppression Olympics is reinforced by the belief of an idea of being the model minority. For me, um, my family, my parents immigrated from the Philippines and they came here and they worked hard to get me the education that I have. I work incredibly hard to get the grades I want and to get into the schools I want and to participate in the activities I want to participate in and just to build a life that's successful for me and my family. And we grow up believing in this idea that if we work hard, anything is possible. But I think we fail to realize that as Asians, we do have privilege and working hard and achieving what we want to achieve is easier for us than for other minorities. And this idea of oppression Olympics is just incredibly harmful because it forces us to fail to realize um, the biases and privileges that are within ourselves and if we don't look into who we are and identify these failures within our own beliefs, then we're never going to grow as a person or as a community or as a nation in general. So I think it's finally time for Asians especially to start um, taking action and not just um, ignoring and standing by and saying this issue doesn't involve us because it really does. Yeah, and I just want to chime in a little. So this idea of being the model minority, especially with Asians who are associated with, I guess, that title, um, this is kind of historical, is that um, Asian Americans and Asian people in general are used as, or just Asian people in America or the United States are used as a racial wedge between white people and other people of color. and um, they're kind of used to justify the success of minorities and they're also used as like an example that minorities should follow and not only is this to toxic but it also widens the gap between Asian people and other minorities themselves and it kind of puts um, the Asian community on a 
higher pedestal. And so oftentimes, a lot of people in the community, especially um, we see with older generations, look down upon um, other people of color because of this idea of being the model minority. And so I think even though we as Asians have earned a lot of respect by Americans, and that's what also contributed to our success is that we started to get, we, we started to get more respect um, from the United States and from the system itself. But with this, we should recognize that, hey, we do have some privilege. And instead of kind of just sitting here and minding our own business, um, especially in the Asian community, that's how you, you were kind of raised to, to be quiet unless something, um, something was associating or referring to you, something was um, troubling you or actually involved you. Um, you, you were oftentimes taught to stay quiet. And so you see a lot of this through the Asian community. So as quote unquote, um, the model minorities, we as Asians should recognize that privilege that we have and also use it um, in our advantage and that um, we should help other minorities and we should stand up for them and fight for their equality as much as we want um, respect for our own communities. We should also fight for the respect of other communities in order to really stand on an equal level in society. Um, because even though systematically, the law says that, or not systematically, but through the law, it says we as people are equal, but you don't see that systematically and you don't see that um, in society. And so we as, I guess people who's earned more respect and people who's not, who's never really gone through systematic oppression or who's never really faced heavier prejudice compared to the Latinx and black community, we as Asian Americans should fight for um, the equality of black Americans and Latinx Americans. And we should stand up together and also support them not just talk about our own struggles to emphasize our experiences, but also to emphasize and empathize um, the experiences of other minorities in order to really come to a consensus, to really come into a, a consensus and um, really fight for that equality that we truly want. Yeah, and going off of the idea that you brought up that Asians mind their own business and they don't get involved with these issues and that really reminds me of a episode on youtube and netflix i watched with patriot act with hassan minhaj wait yeah i watched that one too um it was the episode in which hassan was talking about um it was like directly after george floyd was murdered and hassan was talking about asian americans role inside um, the Black Lives Matter movement. I actually, like, that was my favorite episode so far. Yeah, definitely. And I think he puts it really eloquently why Asians need to start getting involved and um, advocating for social change because um, we're not completely innocent. We're actually complicit in the injustices and atrocities that occur within our own communities. And we want to play the audio of his message for you right now so you can listen. But hey, it's not our fight, right? This is a black-white issue. America's story didn't start when we got here. When you became an American citizen, you don't just get to own the country's excellence. You have to own its failures. That is the deal. That's why I can't get this photo out of my head. 
because it's crop wrong. Zoom out. Who's in this photo? The officer who's blocking people off? He's Hmong American. He's my age. He's 34. The guy who owns the store. Did you know this? He's Arab American. His clerk called the cops on Floyd. That is America. A black man was murdered in cold blood and we were on the fucking sidelines watching. I'm not saying we were the ones who killed George Floyd, but we have to be the ones who pulled that cop off his neck. That's why the full picture matters. Yeah, I think that clip really does amplify the the quote that like really has been going around lately, that if you are silent, you are on the side of the oppressor. And I thought, um, I thought that really did amplify that message. Yeah, and I think the episode, the episode is titled, We Can No Longer Stay Silent or something of the like. And the whole episode can actually be found on YouTube and Netflix. So you can watch it in either place. And along with Kean's essay that we'll put on our website, we'll put the link to the YouTube video. Yeah, so I've never actually watched it before. I've actually never watched the Patriot Act before. Um, I've only watched it once for a class assignment, but I think this video, especially after hearing what um, he has said, I, I do agree with you. He does really, he, he really does put it in an, a really eloquent language and a really sophisticated language as well that uh, really emphasizes the topics and the facts that we don't, we're discussing today and how, especially as Asian Americans, we should also stand up for um, the oppression and prejudice and discrimination of other groups as well. Because at the end of the day, people of color only have um, each other and minorities only have each other to stand up for each other and to fight for each other's equality. Yeah, and this idea of Asian involvement and Asian privilege ties directly to this idea of bootstrapping. Kian, can you give us a rundown on what this means, especially within the Asian community? So bootstrapping was another term that I brought up a lot. And it was also brought up a lot in um, this media liter literacy class that inspired my writing. But um, bootstrapping essentially is um, the idea that an individual can get in and out of a situation using their existing resources. And so you hear a lot about this bootstrapping through the rags to riches story, the American dream and all that. And so, um, this plays into the Asian community itself because a lot of the times um, Asian success is um, associated with their hard work. It's their dedication to education and nothing else. It's because, um, I guess, their tiger moms, their immigrant mothers pushed them so hard to be successful, to be doctors and lawyers. And so what people don't really realize about and, and that was just an example that I wanted to throw out um, relating to the Asian community, as you um, ask. But in general, bootstrapping is this very um, false way of defining success is through and, and how it defined it is that it's very easy to move up and down the social class as long as you work hard, even though it doesn't work like that. It's, it's not easy for everyone. It's. It, you, you can start from the bottom, but 
And you may have worked super hard. You may have worked harder than so many other people. But because you don't have um, that social privilege, because the system does not protect you, because society has, um, has associated you with negative connotations such as drugs and crimes, um, these existing factors also play a role into your success. And sometimes, and I mean, oftentimes, um, prohibits you from succeeding. And so bootstrapping, what we need to realize about bootstrapping is that it doesn't work. It, it's this false idea. It's also a hegemonic ideology um, that has been put in by, you could say, people in power. So here, the wealthy people, the, the rich class, um, that you can simply get rich by working hard, even though there's so many factors involved, such as privilege, for example. I mean, in the workplace itself, a woman is more is more discriminated is more discriminated um, than a man. He's more likely to get promotions. I mean, even with the discrimination against black people and how they can wear their hair in the workplace, that itself prohibits them from success. And so. And that was just another example I wanted to throw out. But, and so bootstrapping really needs to be debunked. And I'm kind of here trying to debunk the idea right now because it doesn't work in a way where you can work hard and you can succeed. It's if you work hard and the system also supports you, you can get rich, you can succeed. But if you work hard and the system doesn't accept you, or not that system doesn't accept you, that society doesn't accept you and the system doesn't support and defend you, you, you might not get rich. You can get lucky, but you, you might not get there because, um, because of society and because of um, the system that we live in today. And I think this idea of bootstrapping is harmful to the mental health of minorities because you grow up believing that you were meant to work hard. And if you work hard, anything is possible. You can succeed succeed and be happy and lead the life that your parents wanted you to have it's the american dream but in the situations where you work hard and you don't get the life that you wanted you think it's your fault because everyone else does it um it's who you're meant to be and it's what you're meant to do but what we fail to realize is that there's factors that we don't consider that can that contribute to why we can't move socially and we can't get the jobs you want and why we can't succeed in life and we fail to look at these discrepancies that include the systematic racism, housing, um, like educational resources and poverty that we don't look over and we put all the blame on ourselves when it's really the system that we've been born into that has been prevalent for centuries now. And to kind of essentially wrap it up and to add on um, these factors that are often overlooked. So um, bootstrapping, and and I'm going to quote something that I read here, um, but bootstrapping essentially disregard the idea that there is more to racism and ethnocentricity and language than is apparent that, and it kind of ignores that there are long established systematic forces at play that maintain bigotry and systematic forces that can even make bigots of those who are appalled by bigotry. So 
Kian to end it off um, and to end up our dis to wrap up our discussion. Can you tell our listeners what you would like them to take away from this discussion? Yes. So um, to those listening at home, in the car, going to work, um, wherever you are, first of all, thank you for sticking this long and still listening through. But um, the message that I really want the audience to take away, and I mean for you two to take away as well, is that um, we should examine media and how we receive media as well as our actions and behaviors and how it plays a role in these other factors that we talked about as well. So like hegemonic ideologies and bootstrapping. Um, and so we just really have to analyze and critically think about these factors and how we might be complicit of, um, I guess, the oppression and the prejudice and discrimination that still goes on today. And I mean, the bigger issue at hand is to recognize inter-minority racism and how it only downplays the progress that uh, people of color have had. And it's only gonna keep us in this endless cycle of oppression Olympics <laughs> um, and how we're not gonna make progress unless we recognize each other's issues as well as um, the bigger issue at hand, which is the system that has been built for centuries, um, which is built to protect white rich men in power and not everyone in the country and everyone, every citizen, but it only protects these people in power. And so we have to recognize that this is bigger issue at hand. So we should kind of come to a resolution and actually solve our own issues and the issues between and in our communities and then try our, and then, and understand each other's experiences and issues and tackle our shared um, experiences in prejudice and discrimination as well. Well, that's it for us today, but thank you, Kian, for um, speaking with us today and having this discussion on interminority racism and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you a lot for even featuring me. Um, it really does um, it, it, it really is an amazing opportunity and, and being able to put my message forward. And uh, yeah, thank you. And to our listeners, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this topic or even hearing a little bit more from Kian, um, he has written us an essay which will be featured on our website and you can access it there. But that's it for today and thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on FIRST.